Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Commas by Bravo. Hey, Is. It feels so good to be reunited. (laughs) It's so good, you guys. Full disclosure, I literally just got off of a 21-hour flight back from Thailand after being there for two weeks, and I am back and ready to fucking go. And you caught up on all the Bravo shows on your way home, and I'm so just like excited. We haven't talked about anything for literally two weeks, and there's been a million things going on. Forget I've not talked about anything. We haven't even FaceTimed in two weeks. Like, I feel like, (laughs) don't you feel like I was living? I don't even know. I felt like I was just in my own world. Yeah, you were an alternate universe and we would just hear from you sometimes from the 12-hour time difference. So the fact that all of a sudden you're just, like this morning you were on the other side of the world and now here we are about to recap the Vanderpump Rules premiere. (laughs) It does feel right. Like this is the first thing I would want to be doing coming back, but I just want to give a a warning. You guys got to give me a little grace because I am so overtired that I just automatically know I'm probably not going to make that much sense. So you just got to go with it. I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. No, that's my favorite kind of episode. Wait, by the way, I know we're not going to start with this, but not me fucking loving the traders. Emma's obsessed with the traders in a way that it's so rare and funny for her specifically. Like you guys have heard us talk about this, Julie too, about... Emma watches some shows, but the shows that she really gets into are so niche and specific. And then she's like never seen some classics. So when we're talking about traders and she's starting like firing off all the names, all the people, which weeks they left, the the traders, the murders, the killers, the challenge winners. I'm like, were you just in like Thailand and you're retaining <laughs> all, every tiny microscopic detail about the traders? Like I did not even remember half the people's names. And she's like... <laughs> First naming people, I'm like, who? No, I was literally in Phuket, like gasping over Larsa getting eliminated because I, I somehow, I don't know, I guess because I wasn't on my phone as much as normal, I did a really good job about not seeing any spoilers. So when I was catching up, like I genuinely didn't know anything. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying spoiler alert now for the rest of the episode. Lars is kind of old news already, but there's so much to get into. And what's funny is my episode that Gibson and I did where we were talking about traitors, the entire segment was literally him and I just raving about Larsa as a game player and seeing this different side of her and how multifaceted Larsa Pippen is, seeing her from Miami Housewives, Kardashians, and traitors. Like, literally, it's just such different views of her. And then that day she got eliminated, which was such a bummer because I really feel like we were robbed of precious time with her and also really robbed of examining that Marcus Larsa dynamic. Not just obviously because we could watch a thousand hours of the two of them just being themselves, but because having a boyfriend, girlfriend specifically like Larsa and Marcus who worship the ground each other walks on would have brought such a like interesting flair to the game because would they go out of their way to sabotage each other if one of them was a traitor or they needed to one up to win? I don't know. First of all, If I'm a traitor, I totally understand the move of killing Marcus. While it pained me as the viewer, he was such an influential person, and I think that he would have totally been onto them. So I both got the move and then was also devastated by it. But I also think something funny is that I believe it was Janelle, maybe, who was kind of raising suspicion about Larsa doing the cheers to Marcus. And then on this most recent episode of Miami, she was the one that led the cheers to Adriana. And I was like, Janelle, you look so fucking stupid right now. Like that, she is, she does just do that. (laughs) You really have to be well studied in Larsa in every universe. And that is like where I feel we perfectly fit in handshake emoji. No, that literally is us. Also, I just want to say we are recording this 7.24 p.m. on Thursday. I know the new episode airs tonight, so it's very possible that some of the things we say may become irrelevant. I just, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I can't stay up any later than this. I'm doing my my best. So we'll discuss this week's episode next week, but just want to throw that out there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's so good. And also you and I have not spoken about it at all because we've been off and just gone our separate ways. I mean, listen, I think something that is relevant information, just for your knowledge, is that back in the day, I was a loyal MTV The Challenge watcher. I haven't been for years, but in my day, I mean, Johnny Bananas, CT, as far as I was concerned, they were my friends. And so to see them pop up next to like Tamara and Phaedra was crazy. That was something my high school self could have never prepared me for. I mean, the same woman, Tamara, that was throwing a drink on Gina Keogh is now in a house with CT. (laughs) But also the way you get so into the game of like, yeah, in theory, is this like a dumb game? Yes. But am I fully invested as though it's like a life or death situation? And do I watch every single second of the B-roll and see what Alan Cummings is wearing and, and literally read the clues? Like I'm looking for the Declaration of Independence. Also, yes. And by the way, I don't know what's going to happen after tonight, but justice for Bergie, because obviously Dan's a fucking traitor. Like when in the history of anything has someone just being quiet on one of these shows when you are at the top of your game as one of these players been an excuse? Like I'm all for giving grace to that just being someone's personality totally, but you're also on like a cutthroat show. You don't just have the luxury of not ever giving a name and having it be kosher. It's so dumb because all he keeps saying is like, you'll see, I'm playing the game. I'm going to be different this week. I'm just playing the game. But then he still shows up and won't give anything. Like they are pulling teeth. And there's a point where it crosses over from 
good gameplay to just being a pattern that everybody is picking up on. Yes. And you know what, what I thought was interesting this week when Kay Chastain came, which already I loved it, by the way, like Kevin's telling her to listen. I was like, stay in your fucking lane, bro. Right. But also when Kate comes in, they're all kind of talking and Poverty says like, oh, does anyone want wine? And she walks away and Kate's like, by the way, I'm not taking that wine from Poverty. Like I'm not taking anything from anyone. I'm only taking my own glass. So interesting that she was the first one to think of that. You know, her mind was already there. Whereas even after it had been revealed, the whole poison challenge, no one else thought twice about Poverty offering wine. I guess that's where having done a season does give you a leg up in a way because Everyone else is like, wait, I didn't even know that was a thing that was possible, like that I would should even be looking out for. Like mm-hmm. that was honestly such a savage move by the producers because I don't even think the other players of the game knew. They were like, didn't know it did that. Did not know it did that. Also, you know how Deontay removed himself? Yes. So I, obviously I was fascinated by the whole thing and I Googled it and he did an interview with Us Weekly and- Wait, you're telling me? We literally haven't heard from you for two weeks when you were reading Deontay's exit interviews about the traitors. Yes. <laughs> no, I was literally in the middle of Thailand reading what Deontay- get Emma to read like important business documents, but she's going deep on Deontay's traitor exit. Well, I was fascinated by it because I knew that emotional reaction had to be coming from somewhere. And it was. He said that he didn't expect it to bring up so much- childhood trauma for him. He said, I'm going to read you a direct quote. He goes, I'm a world traveler. I've been many places around the world, but in this particular moment in time being on the show, I think because of the conditions that it was in, it really drew back the condition that I was in as a child. People accusing each other of doing things that may not be true. And it really struck something in me. I I just thought that was so interesting in that, like, talk about the last thing he expected you know, here he is, this world champion boxer coming on a Peacock reality show with like a bunch of housewives. I don't think he ever expected to, you know, have this type of reaction, but it really shows you what can be brought up, not by obviously the general circumstance, I mean, like being in a castle with a bunch of reality stars, but the entire idea of having to accuse someone that may not be guilty. Like, obviously that really struck a chord with him. And I just, I don't know, to me that I found to be fascinating. I think overall- what a lot of them would say is they didn't realize the intensity of the game and going on a show like this. Like you think it's all just like fun and silly because like in a way it is a lighthearted game, but you know, it is a little psychological and does fuck with you, especially when you're making relationships with people, you're not sure what's real or not. And also going in with existing relationships, it's, it's probably a very bizarre experience. I could not do this show. I already know for one second. I'm far too trusting of yeah, people. I know. It's so weird because you like, how how, do, how does it even work? I, I don't, I still don't know. But it's just, I'm loving watching it. Well, your natural inclination is to be on the defense, right? Like you don't want to automatically get deep with people. You don't want to let people in, which is like goes in exact opposition to the entire idea of like creating intimacy because any intimacy you're creating on some level is false because you want to get something from someone. It's like, it's very bizarre. I mean, I really do think when they say that the like quote challenge players, meaning the big brother players, the survivor players, the challenge players, they do have an upper hand because it's a totally different type of game. Also, like what you take personally or not. Like these people didn't ask to be a traitor and the name of the game is that they have to lie. So 
you know, saying like, oh, I, I really trust Phaedra. Like, yeah, you might trust her as a person, but also she's not going to come out and say, it. you know, you're all there for a reason. So it's just really, it's really something. Making Phaedra a traitor was the best thing they ever did. Oh my God. Gibson and I were saying she was created by God for reality TV. And I think people realize that. I mean, right now she was on Atlanta. She was on Married to Medicine. She was on Ultimate Girls Trip. She's on Traders. And like, she's killing it in every single one. I know. And I'll tell you the role that I would potentially want her to play the most is directing my funeral. The worst part of that would be that you, you wouldn't be there to enjoy it. I know. I know. I would need that to be live streamed though. Yeah, for sure. I was literally alone in a hotel room in Thailand walking around being like, Lord, not I can sue. <laughs> like POV, you were just watching me on the beach to myself. Lord, not I can sue. <laughs> oh, Lord, not I can sue. I have not stopped laughing about that. And I love how the internet has embraced it because Phaedra's just the gift that keeps on giving. And that is, again, brings up a point that I think we make probably every new season of Housewives or whenever there's a new housewife of like the women who sit down in their confessional with this really contrived quote moment that they think is so funny and will become a gif and will become a meme and become so instantly quotable that they'll put it on t-shirts at BravoCon. You can now feel that because it's so like something that's been brought to everybody's consciousness awareness. Phaedra just mumbling to herself as she finds out this piece of news, that's when it becomes iconic. Completely. It's like Lindsay Hubbard was not thinking about making an iconic line when she asked Stephen, how many sandwiches have you made me? That just rolled off the tongue. And when it rolls off the tongue, it is just inherently more brilliant. Right. And that's showbiz, baby. That is showbiz, baby. I mean, I am just fucking obsessed with this. I cannot wait to watch tonight. I cannot wait to see what happens. I can't wait to keep talking about it. And I'm already drafting my dream cast for next season, which actually that's a fun game to play next week. Like just really spending time thinking about our dream cast and listing them. Yeah. Gibson and I were talking about who of Housewives we would want and like just quickly off the cuff without really thinking about it. Uh, He was saying Meredith and Lisa Barlow. I thought Candace Dillard would be really good on it. But there's so many people also from all different shows, not just Bravo, different ages, different everything that I think would be so amazing. It's the same way we feel about Ultimate Girls Trip cast. Like I could be building them for the end of time. I would love to see Dolores on, to be honest. Oh. Because loyalty is such like a pillar of her personality and character. And I think that would be really interesting depending on what role she was given. Totally. It's also such a delicate balance of like, you have to be a little bit delusional, but also smart and savvy enough to understand and play the game correctly that, Mm. I don't know, it just depends. It just, they they have so many options here. I mean, Giselle Bryan would fuck up a traitors, I think. For sure. Right? Yeah. Okay. We got a lot. I, I just, I don't know if anyone else is feeling this way, but absolutely obsessed. Cannot get enough. Cannot wait to watch tonight's episode. And they're, they're doing good things with this one. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of 
highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies. Okay, don't get me wrong. I'm obviously thrilled that Vanderpump was back. I had the best time watching, but I'm not going to say that I was blown away by this premiere, which is fine. Totally fine. I expect the season to, you know, develop as it continues. And also we have ridiculously high expectations based on last season, but like just calling it like it is, this was a premiere and nothing else as far as I was concerned. Okay. The best way I can describe it is it felt dated. Like, it felt like this was all such old news already because we've been living with it. Like, I know about Ariana and her new boyfriend. I know about the house situation. Like, all of it feels so in the past because we've been living so in the moment with them on social media and podcasts and interviews where we've, like, been following this more closely than ever. You know, sometimes you can feel that way. I think with any housewife season, I feel like with Kardashians, especially when it was on E! still, we would feel like, this is what we're watching. This happened a year ago. And like, it's so real because it, the the lag time, but specifically post Scandal, where we were so like watching their every single move, that's where we're at at this point. And I don't know. I felt like, oh, like I, I want to know what they're doing literally today. No, I know. And honestly, in many cases, this can be the difference between network TV and streaming. You know, as you said, if you take Kardashians, for example, on E versus Hulu, completely different ballgame because most of the time with streaming, they have more of an ability to make the turnaround time a little bit faster. And I totally get that Bravo's just like doing the best they can with the filming schedule. But yes, it feels a little bit dated because I think in the age of social media, it just we have so much information, more information, more access than we ever had that it makes it 
hard to like not know what's going on. Although I guess the flip side is that even when you know, we do rely on the behind the scenes still being interesting regardless. It's all interesting. And it's like, I'm so happy they're back. I feel like we just had Scandaval, but also I can't remember life before it. So I'm just happy to have them back and I'm happy to watch these dynamics. Like I will never get sick of talking about it, but also we're jaded, you know, we're jaded. We left off with the most explosive finale of all time, the most explosive talked about reunion of all time. So of course it's going to feel a little bit less exciting and it's much more of a catch-up at this point. Right, and it's like on this episode, for example, we have Ariana saying that she believes Tom and Raquel are still seeing one another because she's seeing packages being sent back and forth. Whereas like in real time, we have, as of five hours ago, according to TMZ, Sandoval is dating model Victoria Robinson. You know, just like we have so much information that it makes it hard to be as invested in what we're seeing. Exactly, and... I don't know. I feel like we're so knowledgeable at this point that it's it's just a really different watching experience. But again, I loved this premiere. I thought the part of Lala voice noting Raquel was really interesting and also her motive just because, you know, if you're not following along in real time and also even what we saw at BravoCon, I feel like really influenced this where Lala seemed to be the one saying that Tom should get a little bit of sympathy. And now she's obviously showing that sympathy to Raquel too. I think cooling down really changed her perspective and also understanding the level in which this blew up, like really sitting with that probably affected her a lot. But I can't lie and say, I don't feel the producers were probably in her ear, not only wanting a storyline, but wanting some semblance of a connection back to Raquel and maybe possibly opening the door for her to come back or say something or give a confessional or a FaceTime or something just to like continue the puzzle pieces of the story. Which like to me, and I feel like this is definitely not the popular opinion. Yes, if I'm Ariana, I completely understand what she said in her confessional about like, I don't know how Lala would feel about me reaching out to the woman Randall cheated on you with. At the same time, I understand from what Lala was saying, if that was her true feelings, you know, just wanting to reach out to someone that she feels, feels very isolated. I, I can't, I don't know. That's not the thing I'm going to come down her the hardest for. I know that may not be the popular opinion. I did think it was bold, but also a very mature conversation when they were like at the table at the girls' dinner talking about their relationship and how Lala sometimes feels and getting that sort of loving satisfaction from Ariana and then being like, and also, by the way, while we're here, Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I did send a voice memo last night. Like that kind of could have gone really bad. Totally. And it didn't. I mean, we saw Katie say to her, listen, with all due respect, yes, there are similarities, but these are different people. It's different players. Like it's not the exact same. I don't know. I saw a lot of people online feeling that it was very much a manipulation tactic on Lala's part to kind of first have that intimate moment to then drop this bomb. I, I guess my response to that is like, wouldn't the alternative be worse? Meaning having that intimate moment and then not sharing that she did that? Yeah. Like imagine if you're Ariana and you found out another way. No, I think that was, I think it was smart. It was ballsy, but it was totally smart. And Lala having to live with that, especially after they did have that conversation about wanting to move forward and be friends, it would have been weighing on her so heavily. I I love the four of them as a group. And I think almost in the way that I felt with. Salt Lake City, 
like of what they went through with Jen and how it was such a bonding experience that they were able to put everything else aside. I kind of feel like Scandaval was that too. Like for Sheena, obviously Ariana, Lala and Katie specifically, like seeing the four of them sit together and Katie talking about her relationship with Sheena and just how everyone put all the other shit aside and also that they are the only people who also understand it from the same perspective. I think that's really bonding and you feel that like the shift is palpable. It is. It is. And I think that if you're them and you find out that Lala, like I guess you could say, quote, contacted the enemy, it feels like maybe there's a crack in what you think is this new formed bond. I'm not saying that I can't understand feeling that way if you're one of them. I just can't fault Lala for that because I, and I mean, I think a lot of people may feel it was very produced. To me, if she's saying that it's coming from a place of like empathy and humanity, I'm going to choose to believe that until proven otherwise. It's also so Lala to want to stick to her gut intuition and be like, I don't, I'm not going to give up on myself just because of what these other people may think. Like, I think that's a core trait of hers is like to be empathetic, but also to do what she feels is right. And like, she doesn't want to change that just you know, for how it's going to look and for the cameras. So like, fuck it, she did it and she'll apologize for it later, which she did. And thankfully it went over well, but I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, from, again, the podcast and things that I've been seeing her do as of late, it's not like they're friends or anything, but in that moment, it's what she felt like she needed to do. Right, and like in the scheme of things, specifically once you heard what the voice note was, I mean, it was just like a reach out. It wasn't like, I think that you are completely justified for your actions. It was like, hey, just as a fellow human being checking in, like, I don't know. I mean, there, there are worse things in this world. Yes. I'm obsessed with Tom Sandoval versus Summer Moon. Did you see though, someone just posted this. I don't know if I sent it to you. They were like, okay, just to add a little bit of context here, when you go to Block Sheena, it says Block Sheena and any other accounts she has created or will create. So most likely it wasn't Tom going out of his way to block Summer Moon. It was that when he blocked Sheena, it blocked Summer Moon as a part of that. Okay, that's a really interesting theory. I did know about that. I just wasn't sure maybe if her account was linked or not, but I also can understand that, like, because especially from Comments by Bravo, we follow so many Bravo accounts or things that are, I guess, associated that, like, if the Summer Moon account posting so much Sheena and so much Summer and their family was just like infiltrating his feed and he didn't want to see it anymore, I could see him easily doing that. But also like, does no one remember the mute feature? Like fine, block Sheena, but like, I don't know. Going to Summer Moon and her cute little face with pigtails and pressing block feels feels like the worst part of all of this. Okay, yes. And obviously the visual of Tom Sandoval with his white nails going to type in Summer Moon's <laughs> name to then block her is like objectively hilarious. I truly believe he blocked Sheena and Summer was just collateral damage. <laughs> I do. That, as of now, if we're keeping score, that's my number one question at the reunion so far. We'll see if something else tops it, but I can't imagine. <laughs> no, Andy will obviously ask that. You know, I was wondering, you think Sandoval will make an appearance on Watch What Happens in the near future? That's a good question. It's been a while since he's been on. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't post-Scandoval at all. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Is it... Is it viewed as celebrating him too much? Will it be too hard? Will he want to do it? Will Andy want to do it? 
Is it also weird because every single cast member does cycle through the Bravo clubhouse throughout the season? Like, why would he get a pass not to? I don't know. I was about to start the sentence with saying that I hope, and then I was changed my wording, but I, I stand by the I hope in that I hope he goes on just because no one can question him in the way that Andy can, specifically mm-hmm. because no one in the interview space is as, or I should rephrase, in the interview space that's interviewing him, aka Howie Mandel, is as knowledgeable on Vanderpump as Andy is. You know, like with a lot of other cases, I think Scandival can try to weasel his way out. And one thing about Andy is he's not going to allow him to do that if it's a one-on-one questioning. And I can really appreciate that. Also, just given their history, like no other interviewer has like this fatherly big brother role like Andy does where he's been with him from the beginning. He's also like kind of his boss, but also it's not his first time. He knows Sandoval's tendencies and his answering style so, so intimately that, I mean, look, I'm obviously so down for it. It just has to be done in such a way. And as we heard from Nick Vile's podcast this week, we, we can get into you know, Sandoval doesn't really have a way with words. He's very long-winded and he's like a merry-go-round that you can't get off almost. And he curses every other word, which like, I think if I'm a Watch What Happens Live producer, those are like the top three things that I'm not looking for in a guest. So I feel like we'd really have to be preparing him and to be able to get the best 30 minutes possible. Well, right. And also... The one thing Andy Cohen probably values the most uh, from his guests on Watch What Happens, but I feel like just from anyone in general, is concision. Like you see his face when someone exceeds a certain word count. And one thing about Tom Sandoval, he is one of the least concise people we have maybe ever witnessed. So yes, I could certainly see that being an issue. In terms of him on Nick Files podcast, it's like, listen, I'm not looking to just unnecessarily shit on the guy at this point. It's like, what's been done has been done. What else could be said? But what the fuck? You know, it's like you have almost a year now since this went down, right? Scandal happened March, 2023. And I'm not expecting him to be this changed person necessarily. But if you're willing to go on a podcast, you are voluntarily putting yourself in the hot seat with someone like Nick, who, yes, they've become maybe friends or friendly from special forces, but Nick by no means is going to go easy on him. He has no problem asking him the questions other people want to know. It's like, wouldn't you maybe want to prepare a little bit? I just think that it is so unbelievable that 10 months after the fact, he is still blaming what he views as Ariana belittling him to justify his actions. It's it's so mind-blowing to me that just from the sheer piece of public perception that you would still be sticking to that, it's it's unbelievable. Everything about Sandoval is actually not to be believed because at the baseline of like, oh, he knows better, he's learned, there's people around him, he's taking it all in. It, none of that exists. And you actually like can't even process that that's possible, but it is possible. I actually watched the podcast on YouTube instead of listening to it because I was really curious the body language and what role that played. And one of my biggest takeaways was kind of just watching Schwartz as Sandoval would continue to dig his grave. And I guess the question I want to ask is like, if you were Schwartz, are you not fucking exhausted for having to consistently be his translator almost? It's like you watch him making this terrible point. And I guess on some level, Schwartz wants to hold him accountable or make sure that he holds himself accountable and also wants to do that thing where he's like, well, I think what he really means is. And I just think, I mean, these are men in their 40s. That must be absolutely exhausting. I, do, I don't understand what 
Schwartz's, I don't want to say getting out of this friendship because that feels like you have to get something out of a friendship, but I don't know. Uh, it's it's very bizarre to me. I can't help but actually feel a little bad for Schwartz because, I, I mean, maybe it's me just getting sucked into him very much being like just a victim of like, oh, life happened. And Nick's like, well, what part did you play in that? You know, like of how his life was so great and then how things changed. Obviously, you play a role in that. And there's also circumstances. But I do feel bad because it's like Schwartz is locked in business-wise with this guy. And who's to say, you know, I think they'd still be friends, but I think maybe it would empower Schwartz in a way to be able to separate himself at least a little bit. Like, they're still traveling the world together. I I think they're very codependent on each other. But I also think there's parts of Schwartz that are like, we're two different people, you know, we're not both this, we're not both that. Like, when Nick would sort of clump them together of like, oh, this Peter Pan syndrome or whatever. And he'd be like, well, you know, I'm Tom Schwartz, he's Tom Sandoval. And it's like, okay, yes, but also you are clumped together because you basically live the same life. I just think we have to consciously zoom out for a second because I feel you and I at times are guilty of getting sucked into the reality that they create. When like, what's the true reality? The true reality are these are two men in their 40s. That's it. It doesn't need to go any further than that. You know, it's not, it doesn't need to be treated with a special set of gloves, like for their actions, both individually and, and as a unit. It's like, what the fuck are we talking about here? I actually would like to circle back to what I think is the most psycho thing of all of this is Ariana and Tom still living in the same fucking house. Absolutely nuts. Seeing it with, I, I know we've heard it for months, but seeing it with my own two eyes was literally like breaking me into hives. And the assistant who apparently quit like literally this week, I can't believe she made it that long. And also seeing how much stuff Ariana has jammed into her bedroom because yes, she's living in this big house, but I also think in a way she's treating her bedroom, which like is also weird because it was their bedroom that they shared together, but she's treating it like her own studio apartment up there because she's not safe beyond the doors. No, I know. And I completely agree with you in that I, I think if you're Ariana, within those four walls of her bedroom is like the most safety she feels in the entire house. I don't know what's technically going on with the logistics of it because according to Sandoval and Nick's podcast, I guess they bought the house for around 2 million. He offered to buy her out for an evaluation of about 3.1 million. You know, he's saying that she's refusing that, that when they bought the house, they each put down 250. Who knows what is actually going down because I don't trust what Sandoval's saying until it's 100% verified by Ariana. I thought Nick asked a good question when Sandoval basically said, you know, Ariana's just not being reasonable. She's purposely being petty. And Nick was like, well, do you think that she owes you being reasonable? Don't you think her being unreasonable is completely valid given the situation? I I don't know what's going on there. And I'm very curious about the actual financial logistics, but I can't help but feel that like nothing is worth continuing to even forget about live in the house. Cause I guess as of recently, she hasn't been living there, but just like be tied to him in that way. I obviously understand like there's so much principle and also probably connection to this house. She decorated, built it, loves it. It's her home base. I just feel like for me, I would want to get the fuck out of there because it's like, even if he did leave, it was so their house and memories together. Like even the artwork around the house is so much of them. It's stuff that they picked out. It's memories that they had there. I don't doubt that she loves it and it's a beautiful house, but like 
I don't know. I, I just feel like she should take the money and run and start fresh. Well, the thing is, when she was on Watch What Happens and she said to Andy, you know, I want to sell the house. I don't want to keep the house. He wants to keep it. So if he wants to keep it, he has to buy me out for half. That was a little while ago. Right now, Sandoval's on Nick's podcast saying that he did offer to buy her out. The question is basically how much truth is there to what he's saying? Because I personally don't believe a word that comes out of Sandoval's mouth until it is verified to be true. But let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that that is true and that he is offering to buy her out for a price that you know she deems worthy or her and her lawyers deem worthy. I think it's hard to say what you would do if you're her, but from where I sit, like, take the money and run. It just, I'm such a believer in energy and the energy in that place is just something that you need to not be associated with. Maybe she just also doesn't want him staying there. Like if she can't have it, he can't have it. And right. Well, that's what, that's the argument that he's making, which is not the argument that she was making on Watch What Happens. That's kind of what he's claiming she's doing. And let's just for half a second say that that's the truth. And I'm not saying it is, but just for purpose of this conversation, I also find that confusing because it's like, you don't want that demonic energy. Yeah. Like you don't want to, you know, let him be in the house that he spent time with Raquel in and that like, you know what I mean? Like let him and his penis flute have, have a day there. You're going to be in such a better, freer, clearer place. I totally agree. I don't know. We're, well, we're going to have to see. I, but yeah, listen, in general, like I loved every second of this premiere, but it wasn't groundbreaking. And I look forward to the rest of the season is, is kind of my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I'm happy we're back. It's fascinating to see them in a post-Scandoval world. And I'm just curious how this plays out, especially seeing Ariana and Tom having to film together, which I think is going to be just like an insane experience. I'm not even going to lie to you. That Schwartz-Katie love triangle is bizarre and something I am curious about. I can't lie. Yeah, the whole thing. I'm just curious about all of it. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. 
And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you. Absolutely excellent episodes of both Beverly Hills and Miami, if you're asking me. Excellent, excellent. Everyone brought their A-game. And also the settings were so additive, like Barcelona, Mexico City. It was just, the saturation was there, you know? One thing about us, we love saturation and we love the outfits. So I felt like we had a healthy mix of both of those. And then on top of it, the women were being so funny and so dramatic. Like Literally, what more could you want? It is very ironic, and I know everyone has pointed this out, that Crystal's medical emergency and Anna Marie kind of coming to her rescue came directly after their fight about the legitimacy of Anna Marie's medical career. Like, you couldn't have written that. It was so ironic, but I actually got so much more respect, I guess, for Anna Marie because she did put that all aside, of course, and was so professional and loving to Crystal. And I think it really gave Crystal like a moment to look and be like, oh, this is the kind of woman and friend she is. Like that petty bullshit and what I knew about her from our five second interactions wasn't fair of me to judge her on. Well, it was just one of those moments where it's like, oh, so this is what actually matters. And the thing about Housewives or any of these shows is that you can't script those type of situations, yet those type of situations are the only thing that can fast track a relationship healing. Right? Like Crystal and Anna Marie, if they were just talking it out, that would have gone in circles. That this would have been played out for multiple more episodes because let's call it like it is. Anna Marie, prior to this happening, I would say was a little bit insufferable. Crystal was not laying off of her. And like they weren't going anywhere. And when you have something like this happen, it just puts into perspective, I guess, what really matters. And now all of a sudden is water under the bridge. It wouldn't have been water under the bridge if. Crystal didn't have the medical emergency, which like, obviously I I wish that she didn't have it, but for the sake of the evolution of their relationship, it was somehow the best thing that could have happened. I just think it's one of those situations where you just have to laugh at the, the irony, really. Mm -hmm. Like you could not write this shit. Well, and also just like, no matter who you are, having any sort of a medical situation when you're in a foreign country or any place that's not familiar to you is very scary. You know, it's just isolating. You, you, you don't have your comforts around you. I know obviously you are familiar with that and it, it throws you off for a second. So I think to just to be like surrounded by people that you know are, are going to be there for you is very comforting. Especially when you're in like that, I think kind of claustrophobic environment of the van and you're going up the hills and you're being filmed with camera in your face with these women. It's like, it's a lot. I I felt that for her. Completely felt that for her. Also, Erica was wasted. She was actually killing me. It is so rare that I laugh out loud. And I laughed out loud. Something that I was really in touch with while watching this is that obviously I am deeply entertained by an intoxicated Erica. Like it is factually incredible television and she was hilarious and wonderful and it was a great scene. However, I am not entirely settled watching her. You know, there's a part of me that just feels like at any moment, this could go really south in a very specific way that only Erica could make it go south. And I think it was Garcelle and her confession was like, I could have watched this all night. I was like, I couldn't have. Like these 10-ish minutes was pretty much all I had in me because I was starting to feel a little bit anxious that she was going to say something real out of pocket in front of Sutton's really smart friends. 
Totally. I I was on edge because you don't know if it's going to take a turn. And I think, you know, I think anytime you're with Erica, there's kind of that little feeling in the back of your mind. So then to be fully, you know, added with the alcohol is like, okay, we're really in for anything. But she was, I think, her best self. I don't know. I think she felt, she felt good. You could feel it. Well, I think the thing that I was very aware of was not just that she was drunk, it was that it was coming off of her expressing a lot of disappointment in the other women for feeling as though they weren't there for her. And so I was nervous that the alcohol plus that could have created a little bit of a situation because she was she hadn't expressed to them that she was hurt by that, right? Like she just said it to us in her confessional and she said it a little bit to her makeup artist, but the other women didn't know how upset she was by their lack of reaction to her feeling justified in the earring situation. So to me, what I was watching being like, oh shit, this this could turn bad. It didn't, it didn't. It was a great scene and I'm so glad it happened. And I also feel as kind of a side note, a really great episode for Sutton. Yes. In that I think meeting Trevor and getting to hear about those experience allowed us as the viewer and also the other women to, you know, just get a look into Sutton's past in a way that felt really authentic. And just in general, like, the view that you get of someone when hearing firsthand experiences from some of their oldest friends is unparalleled. It is insight that can't be received otherwise. And so I just thought it was a very beautiful scene. I mean, that, you know, of course, in combination with her in the church, with Kyle, like all of these were very powerful moments. And this is the Sutton that I appreciate so much. Also, it was, I feel, one of the first times Sutton was fully in her element where she like had set it up for herself to thrive. It was her friends, her environment, the dinner party. So just like what she would want versus I think a lot of other situations that naturally because they're filming the show are sort of just uncomfortable for her. And like then she's like squirming and can't really show off her best sides. And this, she felt so at ease. And I think that in turn, that also allowed her to open up in a way that she hasn't really fully gone in the past. And then we see that sort of the next day with Kyle when she goes in the room and Sutton is sort of reflecting on how this is a way more emotional experience than she was expecting. And it made so much sense when she was talking about that, you know, that obviously part of it was Merce, but also feeling as though these ashes symbolically were her father's ashes and that it was the death of her marriage. Like those are all really heavy things. And I appreciate her allowing herself to kind of just feel what she was feeling and not shy away from that. And I also just want to say, I felt like specifically seeing Sutton in this light when she was with Trevor and all these fabulous people, that she herself would have been horrified watching her at the Magic Mike show. Like, I feel like Trevor would have been like, who are you throwing a fit over a spread eagle on a stage? You know? And like, it made me, I didn't look in and be like, wow, these are two different people. I was like, okay, I can accept that as being just like a really bad moment for her. And I will be happy to believe that this is the real Sutton. And that was an off night. Yeah. It, it's That's why you're like, wait, this can't be the same person. It, it doesn't really make sense, but like it makes enough sense. Or I'm like, okay, you do you. Totally. And I also felt, yeah, obviously in a different way, but that moment at the table between Garcelle and Dorit, as Garcelle said, just created such an intimacy within the group. And I think that I guess something I'm so consistently um, amazed by with Garcelle or that I really admire her for, it's like, she doesn't have to give Dorit the grace that she has given her and continues to give her. 
but she chooses to. And she never shies away from saying how she feels, saying how it impacted her, explaining to Dorit why it impacted her, yet at the same time, like fully hearing Dorit. And I just think, I I don't know, I just think she's an exceptional woman. And by the way, I need to see her with that hot chef. Oh my God, when she was- Both the the son and the father. I know, when- when, uh, Sutton or someone said like, oh, she was I. And she's like, yeah, tripper. But I'm like thinking to myself, there's no competition. Like I dare anyone else there to go off against Garcelle. This is, aside from everything else about her, she happens to be one of the most breathtaking women we have ever seen on our screens. Yeah. The floral dress at that dinner was really doing it for me. She is stunning. Like I, wow, she is so beautiful. And she just has such a like graceful presence. It's just, yeah, she's she's really great. And I think she's found her perfect rhythm as a housewife. Like she was really good in the beginning naturally, but now I feel like she just, she gets it and she feels it so deeply and it really comes easy to her. Well, I also think if you just knew Garcelle from her career, and I don't think she ever gave this, but it's possible you could have assumed that she would maybe be a little bit condescending to the idea of reality TV. Cause like she is very much a true actress and she's just so not, you know, I think she can really separate this job because that's what it is a job from her job as an actress and like she gives them both her all in very different ways and I just I don't know tens across the board I think she is a a fucking class act phenomenal wait one other thing that I'm so glad I didn't forget to say is I'm sure everyone has seen the headlines of Kyle and Morgan deleting each other from their Instagrams which like kind of misleading headlines because Morgan deleted everything from Instagram other than two photos, one promoting her tour and the second promoting Alanis Morissette's tour, which she's performing on. With Kyle, it's a little bit harder to tell because I don't have a good side-by-side comparison of what her grid used to look like. And there's still a couple of posts that have Morgan in them. I don't know if there were individual posts of just them that were deleted. I really don't think it's a thing. I mean, Page Six saw her in Sherman Oaks and she said, we're good. She's got new music coming out. It's very common for artists to do that. That didn't mean anything. Maybe it's just wishful thinking because like, as far as I'm concerned, I want them to be endgame. <laughs> but like, I don't think it's anything. I don't think it's anything either. It's just certainly something to note as is everything we're just keeping track of. Well, more than that, I actually think it goes to show like, oh, so I'm far deeper in this Kyle and Morgan stuff than I thought. Because before I clicked on the article and before I went to the Instagrams myself and I just saw that and I really believed it was like Morgan strategically deleting every picture with Kyle... I was heartbroken, (laughs) which like, how do we get here? No, I know. I mean, tell that to Victorian child. Tell that to us six months ago, eight months ago. Well, if you would have told me that I would be unfazed by a report that says Kyle Richards deletes all posts with Mauricio Umansky, yet like deeply flustered by the headline, Kyle Richards deletes all posts with Morgan Wade. Like, whoa, who is that girl? She was also out in a huge like Mrs. Umansky jacket, which I thought was interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I love it. She's kind of just doing whatever she feels on every day. And luckily for her, she's got a, a different Birkin to match the mood. What about Kathy Hilton showing up at the Beverly Hills reunion? Yeah, I, I love that for us. I mean, I'm showing up. She didn't just like pop in to say hi. She was obviously invited and I just was not expecting that. But I think for our sake, I'm so happy because I... Of course, we love to analyze anything and everything Kathy Hilton. But also purely just to get her perspective on their sister dynamics and Kyle's marriage and what's going on with her. Like we saw Kathy for maybe two minutes this season, but 
yet we get her at the reunion. It sort of makes no sense. And if it were anyone else, this would probably never happen. But I am so happy about it. And also the comforting knowledge that in real time, Kyle was at Paris Sun's Phoenix birthday party, meaning clearly nothing so chaotic happened at the reunion that her and Kathy aren't on speaking terms. Literally, thank God. (laughs) Right? Like, not that I was expecting that, but you never know. Someone posted a video, I think it was Kyle's daughter, of Kim, Kathy, and Kyle, like, sitting, posing for a portrait photo booth. And the way that made me so happy, like, was probably not normal. (laughs) It's... Definitely not normal, but I am right there with you. <laughs> we listen, we we have passed normalcy a while ago, and I'm so happy to not be there. And wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because... You just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondering app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The way that I am so nervous for Adriana's performance. <laughs> Why? Like, I, I don't know. Kiki really put me on edge. She's like, wow, I don't know how she's going to do it. I'm like, oh shit. And then like, she's she's FaceTiming with Emilio. I'm like, you're making him a lot of promises. I hope you, like, and I have full faith in her, but I don't know. I'm like so nervous. I feel like the stakes are not that high and they've they've padded it for success, you know? First of all, who what, what low stakes are you talking about? As far as she's concerned, this is make or break for her career. It's the biggest crowd she's ever performed in front of. I guess so. I'm just I just have faith in her. I think she's a performer and she keeps churning out bops. So like I have nothing to be concerned about. I have so much faith in her and I will also feel much more at ease once it's over. That's <laughs> yeah, zero faith in her at <laughs> no. the same time. Well, no, I mean, that rehearsal freaks me out a lot. I guess it's because you watch that and it's hard to not personalize it. Like <laughs> 48 hours before a performance, if that was me, there's just no fucking way that I'm going up there. But that's also why we are not singer, dancer, performers. Right. We don't have it in our blood like Adriana DeMora does. No, we do not have that fire. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is an amazing episode. And by the way, also terrible episode for Lisa. And I want to get into the church because that was a very impactful moment, but I just got to jump ahead to that boat for a second. It's like, 
to me, that was inexcusable behavior. And I get she had a lot going on with Lenny, like completely, but these are two separate conversations as far as I'm concerned. Any anxiety she may have been feeling based on the fact that she just signed these papers, which like is a big deal and we can talk about, is totally separate from that whole situation with the dogs and just like the disgusting display of privilege and how out of touch it was. And then her reaction to Kiki's reaction when Kiki was kind of the only one there infusing any sort of reality into the situation. It it was disgusting. Yeah, Lisa just was her worst self on that boat, I would say. And I feel bad for her having to watch it back because obviously she was not in a good place at all. But also, like, I hope she can kind of learn from it. Like, it's a good thing where, you know, you live through things and you don't get to watch them back. You just get to reflect, but she really gets to reflect because she gets to see it actually like go down in her thought process. But I think if you were to ask her right now, and I could be wrong, she would say, I don't understand. The dogs looked hungry. I was just feeding them. Is it so bad that I care about the animals? It's like, oh, you are so missing the point. Like so missing the point that the display of- Tone deaf. Yeah. Just the lack of awareness was- I completely understand Kiki's reaction of feeling like, what is wrong with you? Right. Like it was so unbelievable to her that she, there, she had no choice but to say something. And of course she did. And then for Lisa, listen, was it wrong to throw the juice box? Yeah, obviously no one's defending that. But also like, as Larsa said, Lisa's standing up, getting in her face when Kiki already, I think was actively, you know, trying to, not go as hard as maybe she wanted to because she knew Lisa was having herself a day. But like the two things are totally separate. Just because you are in the midst of a traumatic divorce does not give you license to just like be completely tone deaf and disrespectful to people that you don't even know. Right. As Alexia said, what if someone came by your Star Island home and started throwing bread at your dogs because they looked hungry? I mean, that is like, it's, uh, oh, I was, uh, I, I just like, I hated that. I think she didn't realize anything she said was wrong and also felt like she had this shield up because she was untouchable because she was having a really bad day and Lenny, Lenny, Lenny. And it's like, yes, of course, your friends are willing to give you grace and space, but to a certain degree, you know, like you're not completely untouchable for the rest of your life just because you have shit going on and everybody has shit going on. And also like, I saw people saying this on Twitter, let's put it in perspective, you know, like you're still going to get millions of dollars and have a a comfortable life. Like people have, in the words of Kourtney Kardashian, Kim, there's people that are dying. I don't necessarily always like to like compare things in that way because I think everybody's experience can be their experience. But like, yeah, obviously, specifically because it was juxtaposed with how out of touch she was acting on the boat. So like the two, they were so, they were so interconnected. And under normal circumstances, the day that you sign a settlement, which again, to 99% of people, I'm sure what she was receiving was far beyond most people's wildest dreams. Like I understand that for her, that was a lot because it signaled, you know, an ending and ties being severed in a way that even though she claimed she wanted, I'm sure she wasn't entirely ready for like, Yes, under normal circumstances, you would not be forced to be in a large group and do a group scene when you probably just want to be like, in your bed processing it or crying or doing whatever you want. Like I get it, but also like that's the name in the game and here you were. And I just, I'm sorry. Even Larsa was like, no, this, this is not it. That's one thing about Larsa. She is never going to not speak her mind. Like no one's off limits. Well, Larsa also has the benefit, which spoiler alert traders of like 
us watching this while also just watching her on Traders and her being so enjoyable on Traders that like I went into this episode giving her more of the benefit of the doubt than I guess I normally would because of how great I thought she was on that show, you know? Yeah. But I just like love her like saying, I don't know anyone else who would take your shit. Like you can't lose Jody. Or when she was like, I love you, but you're like a baby. For Lar like just something also about Larsa who, you know, we we really pin as not super emotionally intelligent or really self-aware or anything. Like when she then has these kinds of opinions about someone else that's also her best friend, it just it's so it's so enjoyable and funny for me to watch, honestly. Well, it, it makes you feel like, okay, thank God. You know, like this is right, right. side of history. Right. <laughs> and also between Lisa and Kiki, Larsa's objectively closer with Lisa. Like Lisa's definitely the person she's the closest with on the cast, probably in addition to Alexi and Marisol. And I really liked her just being completely objective there. Like Kiki was factually correct in what she was saying. And I think that if you're Kiki, it means a lot for you that Larsa's going against her best friend to defend you and what you know is right. Exactly. I love when that happens because sometimes you think it's like, it's such a shoe in of where everybody's going to fall. Right. And I like when they throw us for a loop a little. Me too. That moment at the church, and I am by no means a religious person, I thought was really beautiful. Like as, as Marisol said, that was a rare moment of unity. And when they all energetically can come together, like great things can happen. And I believe that. I think that if you're Gertie, you feel really supported by that. I just felt like this was again another example of like something that surpasses the show and the drama and the nonsense. It was such a bonding moment, especially even for Gertie and Lars. I felt it was so important because such a small thing, it was even unspoken, was able to, at least for now, you know, bring them together and show a different side of Larsa to Gertie and show that she really does care and maybe that she has learned a little bit from the situation. I just think the whole thing when you have spiritual moments like that, like it's like what we were saying in Beverly Hills, when you're able to open up and also like put everything into perspective, really powerful things can happen. Completely. And Julia, Julia opening up was also just like so heartbreaking and honest. And it just, the fact that we can go from like Adriana's performance and them all yelling at each other on a gondola, Lisa standing up in a poochy outfit and platform heels to to steer the boat and also have this in one episode is like literally get you a group of girls that can do both. And we fucking found them. We found them and we're never losing them. Like I am locked into this group of women for life. Same. My, my favorite, truly. And yeah, my heart is in Miami in a big way. It's just the best. Is there anything else that you would like to mention? No. I mean, I feel like you and I are going to be catching up on everything in life, but also in Bravo, like every day after Pilates this week. So if we have any interesting conversations, I'll make note. But if there's anything we missed, didn't talk about last week, things you want us to elaborate, please DM because, you know, every day is something in this world. And like, I love it, but, you know, we can never hit it all. I know. I was doing my best to to catch up I, I think I'm, it's what is it nine o'clock yeah I'm gonna go to sleep or try my best to sleep through the night and wake up feeling refreshed and ready for another Bravo we feeling Giovanni yes exactly we love you guys thank you for listening and for letting us do this and we'll see you next week 